Welcome to Geared for Growth. This week we're chatting with Belinda Smith, who's one of the directors at Renovate and Real Estate. She's a renovation specialist. We have a chat to her about the rise of renovation shows, how she's used renovation to climb the property ladder, and all about managing the trades and making sure that you're not overcapitalizing and getting the best possible result. Here's Belinda. Belinda Smith, thanks for joining us on Geared for Growth. Thank you, Mike. No, thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. I'm looking forward to, to chatting with you about all things uh, renovation, but I don't want to give too much of an insight yet. Can you run us through who you are and what you do? Yeah, I'm Belinda Smith, and I'm in partnership with um, my bestie from childhood, Belinda Westblade, and we run a renovation consultancy. We have a Facebook page with many, many followers. I think we're up to about 33,000 followers right now. We talk all things property because we just love it, right through to styling and design. And we've just launched our renovation coaching business, which is pretty exciting stuff for us at our age. Wow. We're having a lot of fun with it. Yeah, wow, and that's uh, pretty impressive Facebook numbers. I'm embarrassed to, to compare with mine, so we'll skip over that. Um, what, posters were, um, what posters were on your bedroom wall as a, as a kid? Actually, not house house <laughs> photos, nothing to do with interiors or design. I had horse posters uh-huh. on my wall. I love to ride and I've had horses in a in a previous life in my early twenties. Yeah, riding. Excellent. I loved riding. We've yeah. um and pictures of Sherbet. Right. Oh, right. Yeah, awesome. And he was very famous for his connection to horses as well, of course. I remember screaming that out rather inebriated at a concert, um, much to the dismay of my wife. Um, we'll, we'll glaze over that one as well. How did you first get started in property and what was your first investment? Uh, I first got started in property with my husband. We were going together in our teens and so we were married quite young. I was 22 and he was 23 and we bought a small unit at Cronulla and we bought the unit that other people were walking in and taking a look and then leaving. It smelt really strongly of baby's vomit. So the real estate agent was showing people through but we just knew I think mum and dad had always renovated, so I knew that it wouldn't take much to spruce up the unit and it'd be a nice place for us to get a start. And it was pretty close to the beach. So I look back with fond memories of that first buy we did, and we did it up. We just painted it, we stripped it out, we replaced half of the kitchen, we left half and replaced half, and it became a really nice place for us to stay in for our first year and a half of marriage. And then we sold it at profit, and, and I... I think so we started out of necessity because we just didn't have big incomes. My husband was a mechanic, I was in the police force back then and we were working double shifts as much as we could just to save. And I just knew, always knew the value of property from right from the get-go. Yep. Yeah, and you had a, a great result out of that first one, I'm guessing. Yeah, I mean, we bought it at 53, can you believe those figures now? $53,000. <laughs> that's, that's stamp duty these days. I know. Interestingly <laughs> enough, that same property came onto the market last year. So we took a you know a trip down memory lane and, and husband and I, we walked through it. The kids came with us, couldn't believe how tiny it was, nor could we. We'd forgotten how small that unit was. Yeah. It sold for up near the 600000 which wow. is pretty yeah, and some of the original things we'd done were still there, the, the kitchen, and it was, quite, it was quite fascinating. Yeah, wow. And is that when the, the renovation bug sunk its teeth into you, or is that something that happened a bit later on in life? 
Oh, probably even earlier. Mum and Dad, Mum was a serial rip the house apart and redo sort of lady. So I'd come home from school and the lounge room, lounge room would be all switched around and she'd move the prints from one side to the next and there'd be a few little new things from the shop that she would sneak in without Dad noticing. So they were serial renovators and they also had an investment property and I spent time while they were doing that up. As a, as a child, I thought it was a little bit of a pain that I was spending my weekends with them while they were working on this old house. But I guess ingrained in me was just knowing that it was not a difficult thing to do and that it was just a step-by-step process and that there was good money to be made if, if you know, you put in the effort. Yep. So I sort of, I guess I grew up with it. And then when Hubby and I married and we weren't on big incomes, I just we just sort of continued from one to the next to the next. Awesome. And, yeah, we're, I'm looking forward to sort of pulling pulling that apart um, for, the, for the benefit of our listeners in, in, in how you've used that to, to get to where you are today. Taking... Um, a bit of a, a, a step back, prior to being a, a Renault guru such as you are, you were a police officer for over 20 years. What can you tell us about your time in, in, uh, in, in the blue and white check and, and how on earth did you sort of cross over from that into the renovation world? I think um, right from the start, um, I, we were always renovating on the side. And my passion, my, my interest was probably outside of the police always renovating so I would come home from work on shift work and and so would my husband and when we we sold that unit we actually bought a block of land and we built us and we did it own a builder with a with a builder friend who was a friend of the family who was amazing because he would allow us to do so much ourselves and he'd be there supervising and teaching along the way it was just such a great project to start and to gain confidence beyond the confidence that we had from doing up a unit so the police force you know, I loved it. I felt like I was making a difference. It was an honourable profession, hard sometimes, really hard and dangerous. And um, I just, you know, I did 21 years all in all. And when I left, I just felt like I'd done my bit. Yeah. I just had enough. Yeah. And the kids were little. Life was just a continual juggle with shift work. Uh, and my husband was a mechanic at Qantas back then, so he was on shift and Mum and Dad were helping out, and it was pretty full on. Yeah. Uh, we've worked hard. H- husband and I work really hard. We haven't spent our money on rubbish. We've, you know, not we're not the ones with the new lounges and the new everything. We we're the ones who were doing up the old furniture and we're watching our pennies and putting everything we had into property. So that really was where my focus was. Um, you know, was directed towards. Yep. So no avocado toast for for you and hubby then. Oh, and it makes me so cranky when I see the kids of today doing it. I have kids in in, in um, their 20s, 26, 25 and 23 are my kids and you should hear me with them when I see them out buying, you know, salad wraps and I'm just wasting money at local cap. I think everybody, particularly this young generation, are making shop owners really wealthy yeah. and forgetting about themselves. And living for now and not long term, completely opposite. In saying that, I know that um, because we've worked hard, they sort of get it. They do. They get it. Yeah. Let's um let's get back into to the renovation side of things now. Now Renault shows are a, a ratings juggernaut in Australia. There's there's one on seemingly every network. What, what do you think it is that draws people to these renovation shows? 
Um, I'm drawn to them myself. I watch so many <laughs> and the kids go a bit nuts about that. Um, a number of things. Number one, we all like personalities, reality TV, and we love to see people under stress, whether they're having a good time or a bad time, things are going well or, you know, things are turning quite disastrous and they're in the middle of it, arguing with tradies and tired and exhausted so they're not very together sometimes when they're making their decisions and we also love to see before and afters like the transition of just an old place and ripping it apart and then coming together so beautifully and we all know that reality tv shows are full of sponsored products yes and are full of trades who land you know on a on a work site all at once and things are happening really at, a, at an accelerated rate that you can't replicate at home in your own renovation. So those shows, if there's a speed, um, excitement, the way things are getting thrown together, the latest products are all on display, um, people are under pressure. It's, you know, that's, that's their, their ratings winners, I'm not surprised. Yeah. And do you, do you think the legacy of the shows is that people do think it's a little bit more exciting than it is or that the progress could be faster or the transformation, you know, is always stark and there's a huge profit at the end? Do you, do you think that the shows have given people uh, a positive insight into what it's like or the, or the, or the positive aspects of it or, or has it set people up to, to fail a little bit? A little bit of both. There's an excitement, definitely an excitement. When, when and I, when we were youngsters, we renovated, but not a lot of people did. Um, but it was just we just sort of did it, and I don't, you know, like you heard my history, Blinders was the same, and we grew up together. So we grew up. Our parents were very like-minded, so we did it, but not a lot of people did. Whereas those shows have just opened up the possibilities to the entire marketplace, and people get very excited about the outcome, and they believe that they're going to get similar outcomes, and those outcomes are possible, but not probable. And, and typically, at, at what point do, do people get in touch with yourself? Uh, obviously, people, you know, quite have been renovating for a long time, presumably before even your business started. Um, is it something that people realize that they've got into trouble or are people now sort of getting a bit of an idea that, well, this is a big financial commitment, I might need someone on my side? Oh, both, Mike, both. We All, all of those. We, when we started, we thought, okay, where are we going to position ourselves in the marketplace? How are we going to help people? And we actually just sort of put it out that we will give people as little or as much help as they need at any point in their renovation. And it worked for us because we've got the skills to do that from right from the feasibility studies, the buy to the um, fixing up the property to the watching budgets and spend to the how to identify good tradies right through the styling for sale and the sale um, itself. So we just thought, why don't we just put it out there and, and just, you know, just quote per job. Everything's so individual with renovations. Yeah. Everything's so different. You know, you're dealing with what you've got. You're dealing with different budgets in different areas with different purposes to renovate to rent or to renovate to live in for yourself or to renovate to flip and so our clients come to us with all different all different structured you know deals and and we just try and advise them 
on that particular deal at that particular time and what suits them. So we do things like um, we have clients come to us say, I've just got to do this DA application for council and I've never done one before. Can you help me with that? Or I've just bought a heritage home. I have no idea. Or I've just done this. Um, or I'm looking at this property. Is it going to be a good deal? Is the property, Does the property look like it's got good bones for renovation? So we just about do everything. Yeah, the majority... Right. Yeah, I know. It's And so it seems to work for us and it's enjoyable for us because we're not doing the same stuff every day. Every client project is a challenge. Um, but the majority of people, I guess, are people who've bought somewhere and they want to renovate as an investment and they're just not quite sure of what to pull out and what to leave and where to spend their dollars for the best return. So that probably, those people probably form the mass or the majority of our uh, clients, particularly now that we're in the coaching space and a lot of those students are bringing us, you know, we're teaching them how to do it, but they're also bringing us their projects and they're all in, which is quite exciting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, awesome. Now, um, yeah. there's a pretty sort of recurring theme on the podcast is that in investors and, and I guess renovators, even if they're owner-occupiers, tend to focus very much on the on the property itself and the acquisition. But in, in your interview on Sky Business, you, you talked about how you used renovations to climb the, the property ladder. So, so how does renovation work for a property investor, say, at a macro level? I mean, the, the reality is that when you're renovating, if you do it really well, if you keep your spend down and you keep absolutely to budget and you don't pay too much for the property in the first place and you style it really well to emote the emotion of a buyer, then you do sell for profit. So you're just manufacturing growth. And if you repeat that process, you just, you know, you're grabbing a property and you're adding value and, and you may be selling it or holding and dragging out the equity and then you're doing the next one and then you're doing the next one. Whereas the buy and hold strategy, you know, you can still get great capital growth, but it's just not as accelerated. And so that's why it's so popular and people see it on the block and shows like that we spoke about before that in a few short months, you can add quite a few thousand or hundreds of thousands to your profit margin in chunks you can just sort of jump in chunks so if you look at my particular case i live in an area now when i was a child i used to drive down the street i live in and with mum and dad and we used to say oh that's where all the rich people are yeah and i always thought that it was somewhere where i would never be able to afford to live i never even dreamt that i'd live here and the only way that I've been able to do it is my husband, yes, we cut we cut back our spending. There's no doubt about it. We did not live the high life and still don't. And we've just turned all of our hard-earned cash into property. And then every property we get, we just add value to. Over time, this, this one of the homes we stayed in for 18 years. So it's not like we're flipping for profit nonstop. But any investment property and the property I'm in at the moment, everything I look for potential when we buy, we never buy done. Never ever do we buy something that's beautiful. And I just think we're just handing our money to the person who did it. Like the profit margin goes to the person who's selling the property, not to us. I buy underdone. And real estate agents know to only show me properties that are smelly. <laughs> smelly. <laughs> baby vomit is your particular cologne uh, that you, you enjoy. <laughs> 
I was laughing with a real estate agent the other day who showed me a house that smelt so badly of cat's wee. There was only me and another buyer brave enough to walk through this home. It, 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 our eyes were watering. Firstly, we were laughing, but secondly, the smell of this uric acid from this cat's feed. This lady had had about 28 cats locked inside for years and years. That so a when solid that house came on the market, I know. When the house came on the market, he rang me straight away and said, I've got the property for you, honey. <laughs> this is smellier than ever. And we still giggle about it today. But that's the sort of thing. We, we definitely love that. We love it because they're, they're properties that other buyers aren't so keen to take on. And they're usually, or always, if you can get them at a discount, even better. There's not as much competition buying those properties because 95% of the market like to buy something where they can just unpack their furniture and move their kids in and not have to do much. And we're totally the opposite, yeah. totally. Well, Belinda, I'm convinced, not so much in the cat urine, but the accelerated growth. So um, let's say people are listening, what sort of income or deposit would you need to get started in a renovation project? Obviously, it depends on, on area, but can you yes. walk us through some of those those sort of rough ballpark figures? Yeah, uh, we find that a lot of our starters are doing joint ventures around about the 300,000 mark, you know, for, for starters, I mean. Yep. Um, maybe country, you know, good regional towns, places where there is good return on investment and properties are selling fast. There's no point heading to a regional area because they're affordable and cheap and ending up with, um, even in a joint venture where, you know, there's more than one party chipping in and ending up with a property that's fully renovated but takes many many months to sell so uh, selecting the right area is super important and selecting the property with good renovation potential that's not, not going to cost a lot um, and trying to identify the unseen problems for example restumping and you know falls in the floor and being able to identify good layout all of those things um, they're important but I think, you know, around about $300,000 is where people start. And those deposits, particularly if there's a, a joint venture uh, arrangement, you know, you're talking about, you know, your 10%, 10% or yep. less if you can get it, of course, less. Yeah, yeah, of course. So typically, if if you're buying something, you know, the three or $400,000, what, what would you need to, to spend to get a good sort of bang for buck? I'm, I'm guessing you're you're looking at kitchen and bathroom renovations or is it more cosmetic? What, what, what sort of what sort of figures are we talking? For people that are brand new, we always recommend that they look at doing a cosmetic renovation because it's not so complicated. Yep. And they can also move through the project quite quickly. And then at the end, they don't have to worry about council approvals and all those sorts of things, depending on what they want to do. So that they get a result quite quickly and then they get the, yay, that was good fun. And they want to do it again. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like rather than tackling something that's big where they've got so many um pieces to put together and they've got tradesmen and issues and council regulations and um and the delay so mortgage repayments if they if they're struggling financially and the mortgage repayments and there's time blowouts and all that sort of stuff so quick cosmetic renovations and we say the great number is to spend around about 10 percent of the original property value focusing on kitchens and bathrooms that doesn't mean new kitchens and bathrooms but it means focusing on the kitchens and bathrooms to appeal predominantly to the women because we all know <laughs> 
that women are um, the driving factors. Yep. In, they have a lot of power of influence in in purchasing decisions, buying decisions. Perhaps we both so, fit into the stereotypes there. I'd be looking at how many cars <laughs> I could fit in the garage. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's that's fine. And, and you know that that is that is something that does um, does affect the the purchasing decision for 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 men and women. Obviously, it can go any number that's of the, ways. But that's that's interesting. Yeah. That that sort of ten percent figure as a guide. Yeah, on a cosmetic renovation and more on a structural. But of course, we like to just, you know, set aside just a little bit of a contingency on top of that. And I always say about, you know, add another 15% to that 10%, not to the whole property value. But yep. just, I just really like people to be prepared for the unknown in a renovation. And I think where people really go wrong is that they set their renovation budget and they don't allow a little bit of a buffer and they think that that's all they're going to spend and it only takes one little thing to tip them over that budget and they've got no more finance to access because their their loans are too tight. I just like to see people go through it unscathed, yes. and then if you don't, you have to draw yes. on that contingency. Happy days, it just your profits accelerated. Yeah, you know, happy days. And the stakes are pretty high. Getting that wrong, I guess, you know, selling a partially renovated property, you could could be in a bit of trouble. You mentioned um, you mentioned tradies, and they've been getting a bit of press lately, especially in Sydney. I think their salaries are up there with uh, neurosurgeons. How how much of the renovation process is dealing with tradies, and and what are the challenges there? Yeah, a, a lot, a lot of dealing with. Um, and, and I think the challenge, it's one of the hardest things or the people that find the most stressful. It's what people find the most stressful is dealing with tradies. The challenges are getting great a great team that you can rely on to do the right thing so that you can just give them your job in the morning and then turn up in the afternoon to check the work and just tick it off as, yeah, that's fine. So I think, you know, that's that's a challenge is getting good tradies. And... One of the most difficult things to do is when, if you do turn up at the end of the day and something's not quite as you like it, one of the most difficult things to do is to be able to bring that to the tradies' attention and have it adjusted or redone if, if need be without upsetting them so that they're, you know, that they continue to flow through and work on your job with your best interests at heart, that it doesn't make them cranky. There's a real art to talking to tradies and there's a real build speak that they get and there's a real art for your tradies to actually respect you, particularly women. Belinda and I have been doing this for a long time, so it's not so hard for us now, but definitely when we were youngsters, when we're uh, when we started in our early 20s, it was really difficult sometimes to be or to felt like we were being taken seriously by tradies. Yes. And so we've moved through that. But some women find it, particularly in their first few renovations, find it really difficult. So there's all of those sorts of dynamics. So definitely, yeah, tradies, it's a tricky one. Most of them are great. I love, we love our tradies, love them. They're great. And they will redo things and they will do stuff for us and they will go the extra mile if we go the extra mile for them. So we've got, you know, little tips about like a lot of people will walk through a door of an afternoon on a renovation and all they will do is look for faults. Yep. They will walk straight through, they'll walk straight past the tradie and they'll look straight at the work and they'll look for any tiny little fault and then they'll just be like boom, 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 boom. And I believe that no one likes to end their work day like that. Like no, no one would like to somebody. Yeah, so just little things like that. I think it comes over time and, and it can be a learned skill and even if you're just aware of it, 
um, it makes a difference. And then the whole energy is just like a lot calmer and then the dealings from then on are much better. It's just an art to it. Yeah, also I'm sure you got a, a lot of tips for the people that you work with as well in, in sourcing them and, and maintaining those relationships and I guess you've, you've gone through a few to, to get the good network there as well. Um, we, we talked about the obviously with the cosmetic renovations doing the 10% and then maybe having the sort of the 5% buffer that sort of leads ne- next into a, a, a question that I was, was keen to ask you and that is all about the cost control and avoiding those cost blowouts. Everyone's I'm sure got a horror story about you know someone pulling down a wall and finding asbestos or a hidden plumbing problem how, how do you sort of mitigate those risks and and keep keep control on those costs because that's where you're potentially well that's where your profit sits right you're, you're either eating into it or you're you're achieving what you set out from your feasibility yep. point of view Absolutely. The first thing, Mike, I think is to buy the right property in the right location and make sure that there is in within that location, there is a really nice big fat gap between what unrenovated properties sell for and what highly renovated properties sell for. And not just listed for sale, but what they actually sell for. And so you can judge and you know yourself at what standard you're going to do that renovation. You're going to be able to judge that you're taking a property from this level the low price and the unrenovated property to the higher um, or the more highly finished property and then you can guess what your margin is and you know that you can only spend within that margin and you want to come out at profit. So most of the time it's buying the wrong property in the first place or buying in a location that's not suitable where things won't sell fast and then it's spending too much money getting excited along the way about little buys and, and making emotional decisions and not decisions based on feasibility studies and facts and figures and thirdly I think people get in a little bit of a pickle sometimes and they have all their invoices and everything thrown in a shoebox and they don't actually sit down and add them up as they're going if you can add up all of your expenditure at the end of every week or at the very least at the end of every completed major job for example a kitchen and a bathroom or maybe the flooring then you you're always just keeping a check and keeping a check and if you can see it blowing out you've got ample opportunity to pull it in and you might be able to pull it in with uh, wages tradies wages they're going to remain the same but you might be able to pull it in by changing your mind on some of the fixtures and the fittings that you had planned to use later in the project do you know what i'm saying yeah exactly so if you're if you're managing it well throughout the process then you've got an ability to to tweak things to to hit your end number but if you've just got the shoebox and at the end you're like all right did we make money or not (laughs) the ship has sailed right yeah, oh, it's way too late then and way too late then. You raised a really yes. interesting point about market analysis and looking at an unrenovated property and what renovated properties are selling for. And I am quite interested in, in how much, let's say, a, a, a renovation expert such as yourself does focus on the market. Do you, do you look at the demographics? Do you look at the, you know, the average household in a particular suburb and, and try and fit your renovation to the fact that, well, let's say these are double income, no kids areas, or these are nuclear family areas, or these are you know trendy singles. How much? How much does the market impact your strategy? Hugely, 
just hugely. It has a massive impact. We will look at the demographic really closely. We will actually design a renovation to target the demographic of the majority of buyers in that area, particularly if you're in an area where they say retired people. Like there's no point doing a bathroom with a bath and a shower inside a bath that you know elderly people find it awkward to hop in and out little things like that they'll stop buyers in their tracks so you're trying to appeal to that particular market you make sure that you've got a shower that they can get in and out of really easily and you're careful about the amount of steps around the property and decks with the little steps and things like that so the renovation is pretty well designed to suit the area and that demographic and then when it comes to the time of sale you don't have any trouble with attracting buyers because you've targeted to the majority of buyers. And that means room sizes and it means additions, the types of fixtures and fittings, and it means colours. Colours are really emotive. So you target your colours to either the young people or, you know, the elderly. Yeah, and I'm interested in those bang for buck changes. I'm, I'm guessing that painting is a huge one, right? The, the cost of painting, even yeah. if you're pricing in labour, um, which is probably the, the biggest component, the, the impact that that can have on the end sale price, I'm, I'm guessing, is one of the big ones. So how, how important is the renovation itself? How, how do you avoid spending too much? Or let's say you, you're wanting to get a certain number of dollars for every dollar you spend back. Where, where are the real bang for buck changes and where do you risk over capitalization? We really like to get around about two to three dollars back for every dollar that we spend. And the best ROI is paint. You mentioned paint. People underestimate it. We will paint anything that's not moving. If you if you know, and there's better best you juggle but juggle the best is to renew things if you can afford it and that fits within your feasibility and your demographic allows it and your end goal and your end profit point. But if it doesn't, then we just paint it or revamp it. But we look at every part of every property. It's it's super important. And another good return on investment is just really looking at the plan and if there's any way that you can adapt the plan of the house that you've bought to renovate to what Aussies, Aussie families, how they really like to live day by day, then you get a great return on investment for that. And by that I mean, if there's a small door heading out to a backyard or a back deck and there's, you know, just those old kitchens with the old houses. They're very three boxy, right? Yeah, yeah, three bedrooms at the front, hallway, you know, a lounge room, kitchen, like this. If you can open out onto a backyard, bring the outside in and the inside out, even if you have to make larger window spaces and do, you know, any of those um, um, strut lift windows or stackers, whatever you can. But if you can really make kitchens and family living at the back, opening out to a back area and open just an open field, open up your kitchens, um, cut holes between your kitchens and your living if you can't take out walls altogether, those sorts of things they matter and people will buy homes that fit their criteria and the Aussie, the average Aussie family's criteria is to have that whole open family living at the back, particularly if it extends to a back area. And um, just to do things up, to just make sure that they're clean to every corner that they're cared for. So painting, if, if you can't replace or you don't want to pa- uh, replace anything, just painting and that, and that gets right down to old-fashioned tiles. If you don't have enough money in your budget or the area doesn't warrant it to replace tiles because that's expensive, then we'll paint tiles here and there as well. Yeah, right. And is that a difficult thing to do, tile painting? It's a special type of paint, I'm guessing? Yeah. Yeah, there's some great products on the market. There's actually a night white paint that's just fabulous for tiles. 
Um, and it's, you know, it's not best. It's not the best thing to do, but it definitely will lift the look of a place. And depending on budget, it, it will do. And it's something that years ago, Belinda and I, we didn't do a lot of. But as the product has become better and it's also more widely accepted in the marketplace, then absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. So let's say we've we've done all this. We've 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 changed the the floor plan. We've done the kitchen and the and the bathroom. We've we've painted. A, a big part of of locking in your profit. Let's say if you're selling the property, or even if the valuer comes and you're looking to reval and pull the equity and go again, styling has to be fairly crucial. I'm guessing. I've seen you talk about about styling. Once you've done the renovation, is the job fairly well done or do you put a bit of effort into maybe putting furniture in the property how important is presenting that property for sale or valuation more important than ever mike the bar's been lifted like years ago we used to you'd look at houses on realestate.com.au or domain or any of those sites advertised for sale and they'd be pretty ordinary they'd be tidied up at best but you look at some of the photos now that people how people present their property and they're beautiful and people are really clever so i always think that you don't want your place to look like the poor cousin against those other properties that are just presented so beautifully and particularly for an empty house it's really difficult for people to walk through a house that's empty and picture themselves and their kids and their families living in it and you really want people to emotionally attach to a place the minute they walk through it and styling has the ability to do that so even if you don't style all of the areas of the house just we say to style the places that are going to make are going to add clarity to where the furniture should be and how the living should be in that particular area like sometimes it's hard to identify where the dining area should be in the living and where the telly is going to go and all that sort of stuff yes. so styling helps position people in those homes and when people feel when you can get the women and the kids in particular to feel and the men like you said before so long as the garage and the barbecue area is okay for the guys so and it's good enough for them and they can put their lawnmower somewhere but if you sell to the women and cater for the men um and you can um tweak the emotions of maybe more than one or maybe three or four buyers women then you have it's game on that's when your your price just goes up and up and up and styling has the ability to do that so, Belinda, this all sounds fantastic, right? We've got a, a bit of a blueprint on the expenditure for cosmetic stuff, the cost control. Um, obviously, you've you've seen many, many projects to f fruition and have done very well for your clients and yourself. But but most people aren't necessarily nailing it, and most people do end on one. What is going wrong? What mistakes are, are people making that that shortens their renovating career? It's something that's not spoken about a lot, but I think a lot of it is the personal toll. You know, like you've seen people fight it out on the block and I know they're under a lot of, and, and TV shows, they're under a lot of pressure with the cameras in their faces all the time. But a lot of renovations, and sometimes we, we are called in our consultancy role to, to basically work between the husband and the wife who can't agree on things, who can't agree on how much to spend or where to spend the money or what particular products to buy or what colours they like. So sometimes I think it's that. And and if it's not a comfortable experience from the beginning, beginning to end, um, you know, people don't want to do it again and again. So 
we like to make sure that everyone ends in profit. Like I think that's important. Yeah. If you end up at the end of a renovation and you've put all of that effort in and you've come out even, even if you've come out even, you think, oh, that was just a waste of time. And if it's an... You know, if it's a, a situation or the renovation is full of stress and anxiety, it's probably the main thing. So there's a lot of things you can do in preparation to prevent that. Like you, just a simple sit down over a cup of tea and say, okay, I'm going to be the boss on this project. And by that, I mean, every time the tradie has a question, he's going to call me and the decisions, if you've got anything to say to the tradie or the boss or the builder or whoever's on site, make sure that it goes through me, so we're only telling him one thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. communication rather than the tradie getting a decision from the wife and she hasn't told the husband and they've gone ahead and done something and he turns up at the end of the day and said, that's not what I expected and all of that. It's, so it's just getting a bit sorted and organised and plan ahead, making sure the budget is okay, making sure that the renovation is comfortable within your own personal financial spend um, that you haven't pushed yourself, you haven't leveraged too high and it's just not painful and uncomfortable. All of those sorts of things, they add up. We see it so often people only do one. It's a shame. It's a shame. Yeah, well, it shouldn't be that deep. Hopefully we'll, uh, we're, we're one small step towards rectifying that issue with uh, with this podcast, Belinda. Can you, can you walk us through how you help people in the renovation space? We sort of touched on that in the beginning. People are coming to you at, at all different stages. But, but let's say people are in the sort of feasibility. I'm thinking about doing a renovation. What, 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 what's your sort of menu of services and products from start to finish? So what we do, particularly if they're at feasibility, is just make sure that there is enough gap. I mean, the biggest thing is to make sure that there is enough gap in them in that particular suburb location for them to be able to profit at the end. And and by profit, we always say that we like a minimum profit of or to aim for a minimum profit of around about fifty thousand on those smaller budget properties, so three hundred thousand dollar profit yep. um, properties. Sorry, so because I think it's a, there's a lot of time and effort, and a lot can go wrong. So you want to make sure that you've got a little bit of room to move, and it's going to be worth your while, and that you get excited by it at the end. So you want to go and do another one, but mainly for us, so it's checking that they're they're buying a decent property. The other thing that I think a lot of people just pass over is if you buy a property that the, that the plan is like all over the place. If it's cheap for a reason, if other people haven't bought that property for a reason, if it has a really awkward plan, then it might not be the property for you as well because to change that problem, it's going to cost a lot of money. So it's all to do with looking at what you've got and knowing how much it's going to cost you to bring that up to scratch so you're going to sell it at a comfortable profit and it's going to sell easily it's not going to be hard to push over the the line with you know potential buyers so plan if the plan of the property is important so we look at the feasibility but the most important thing and probably the thing we're asked most to do is just to check on people's spend they don't know what to replace what what they don't know there's those little decisions that you're making every day on the fly we make every day on the fly don't think anything of it now but i we forget sometimes that those decisions are difficult for example if you get an old kitchen like i might walk in there and say oh those bench tops are fine but i'll you know upgrade the cupboard doors and somebody else might walk in there and think that they have to rip the whole thing out whereas we'll go well no you don't need to do that so those sorts of decisions where they they worry about what 
they should leave and what they should rip out and replace. And then when they rip out and replace, they, they get excited about having the best of the best. And that's not always the way that you do uh, a renovation for profit project. Yeah, and that's not necessarily going to get you the best best result, of course. I mean, a $14,000 hammock bath in a $300,000 property is not going to get you two to three times the dollar spend on that particular investment, is it? And it happens all the time. Like, that sort of, those sorts of decisions, they're common. You're exactly right. Those baths do look terrible. And they're even common in the higher end of the bath. Well, there you go as well. So, I mean, of course, it's it's different if we're we're talking about you know buying a, a two million dollar property and and you know spending two hundred k to do it up. But you can still make the wrong decision, and you can still go high spec at any level, I guess. There's a, a local property um, that's just sold, but the word overcapitalization screamed at me as I walked through this house. <laughs> right. It was beautiful. So we're talking up in the. Um, um, they bought it at about 1.2, like 2003, so a long time ago. But they spent over $3 million on the build. Wow. The property, the, the house that they built was incredible, just beautiful. But everybody, and, and at the open for inspections, local builders were, came, were, were interested in having a look just because everyone loved the craftsmanship. I'm not saying it was a bad house. It was divine. But I there's no way they'll get their money back yeah exactly no way look no way Belinda, I've, oh, we've, we've had some, some really great insights from you from, from all facets of the renovation. I think obviously there's, there's more, uh, more to the story. H- how, how can people get in touch with you if they're after more information? Um, to find Belinda Westblade and I, if they want to contact us in any way, um, they can j- actually, if you just Google the two Belindas with a letter two, yep. the two Belindas, then we come up um, quite frequently online and there'll be our website and bits and pieces there. So just Google the two Belindas. Fantastic. And uh, just to, I guess, wrap things up, Belinda, if there's one piece of advice you could impart to investors or would-be renovators, might be a a tricky one, but what what do you think that would be? Uh, I think you've, you've heard me speak about, you know, every stage of the renovation being important and pulling emotion out. So I think probably just to treat renovation as if it was a business, like treat property ownership as if it's a business and not just, you know, a family home or just to step aside a little bit from the emotion and take it seriously. Awesome. I think that's probably my biggest piece of advice. I think that's, that's fantastic advice. And I've very much enjoyed the, the chat, Belinda. Thanks very much for joining us. Welcome. Me too. Have a great day, Mike. Cheers. You too.